said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers and the Egyptian magicians also did the same thing by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs yet Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen to them just as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. Confront him on the bank of the Nile and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has sent me to say to you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now, you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, take your staff, stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and the canals over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in vessels of wood and stone. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile, and all the water was changed to blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelt so bad that the Egyptians could not drink the water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. But the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts and Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said. Instead he turned and went into his palace and did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water of the river. If I was to uh, draw a scale from 100 to 0, you know, like you get in those feedback surveys, 100%, 0%, one end, uh, like that. And if it was about how free you feel at the moment, I wonder, where would you put yourself on the line? Would you feel, actually, no, mostly free, put a cross in there, or actually feeling pretty, pretty restricted at the moment? I think... Lockdown makes us all feel pretty restricted, doesn't it? Can you remember when you were at school and uh, the end of term came and you got set free and there was that sense of, oh, six, seven, eight weeks of freedom. I guess we're, we're longing for that kind of feeling now. The, the feeling of um, being able to put your out of office uh, notifier on your emails. So, yes, I've got some weeks of freedom from work. Some of us have known uh, real periods of, um, of almost captivity. Maybe you've been in hospital for a long time before and you know what it's like to be completely restricted in what you're able to do. Some of you may have even spent time in prison and had a, a whole load of your freedoms taken away from you. 
in the film uh, The Shawshank Redemption, there's uh, a place called The Hole. And if the prisoners have been uh, naughty or somewhere, they get punished by being put into the hole. Uh, a, a small tiled room with no natural light where they'll be on their own. Almost all of their freedoms taken away. Today we're going to be thinking a bit more about what true freedom is and what it's for. Because we've been looking at the story of Israel. Israel who have been captives in Egypt. Uh, they've been uh, enslaved. They've been the attempted, uh, the victims of attempted genocide. And they've been cut off from the, the promised land where they were going to be with God and to worship him freely. And their rescuers up until recently haven't been up to much. Uh, Moses and Aaron have made a number of mistakes. They've been faltering at best. But now everything is starting to click. At the end of our last chapter in uh, verse 6 of chapter 7, we read these words, Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Uh, it started to sink in. And if this were a movie, this would be the part just before the kind of uh, the action really gets going. And what we're going to see is that God's irresistible rescue begins. That the irresistible rescue begins. Uh, I think it was Churchill who was talking about a particular point in the war. He said, uh, this isn't the, the beginning of the end but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. And that's kind of where we are now. We've got past the beginning uh, of the Exodus, and now things are really getting moving. And we get this episode just to start things off with the staffs and the snakes in verses 8 to 13 of chapter 7. If you do have a Bible, by the way, it's probably worth having it close to you. We're looking at uh, part of chapter 7 into chapter 8 of Exodus today. And there's this episode where... Um, God takes Aaron's staff and he, he transforms it into a snake uh, to prove his, his power and identity. Uh, now the magicians, Pharaoh's Egyptian magicians, are able to copy it in some way, but Aaron's staff overpowers them. And, and what we see just in this little uh, episode is a template of what's to come. The Lord speaks to Moses and Aaron. Uh, he does it every time. He does it in each encounter. And each time, as we read here in uh, verse 10, Moses and Aaron do just as the Lord commanded. And then despite God demonstrating his, his power and his identity, Pharaoh resists. That's, we see that in each of the episodes that follow. And the first plague then that comes because of Pharaoh's resistance is this plague of blood in verses 14 to 24. God says through Moses and Aaron, let my people go so they can worship me. Verse 16. In verse 17 he says, then you will know that I am God. And because Pharaoh resists, uh, this plague of blood comes on the land. I think it's a plague of blood because the water of the Nile, well normally that would be something that gives life. But now it reeks of death. I think there's an irony here that Pharaoh attempted to murder all of those Egyptian baby boys in the Nile. And that was the Nile coming back against the Egyptians. And in some ways it's one in the eye for the Egyptian gods. There was a god of the Nile, uh, happy. You see a picture here. And now uh, God is saying, look, I'm better than and bigger than happy is. And as a result, in this case, the magicians again are able to, to copy this in some way just as we go it's worth noting that they can't take it away 
And as a result, Pharaoh hardens his heart. Uh, a pattern we'll see repeat. Because following uh, the plague of blood, uh, it, and although Al didn't read this out, we saw this in the, the bite size with Tamar, there follows uh, three more plagues. A plague of frogs, a plague of gnats, and a plague of flies. Each time God speaks, gives his word, Moses and Aaron obey, and each time Pharaoh hardens his heart, or it's hardened. And the first time with the frogs, again, it's the Nile coming back uh, to get the, uh, the Egyptian, to get Pharaoh. And there was even an Egyptian god, Heket, again another picture here, that was usually depicted with the head of a frog. God seems to be, again, proving his supremacy over the Egyptian alternatives. Again, in this case, the magicians seem to be able to copy what's happening, but again, they can't fix it. They can't take the frogs away. And Pharaoh is forced to ask Moses and Aaron to do it. And in fact, so confident is Moses in God's power, he's able to say to uh, Pharaoh, look, you name the day, the time, the minute, and our God can sort all this out. But again, Pharaoh hides his heart. Then we get a plague of gnats in chapter 8, verses 16 to 19. And whilst the first plague, two plagues came from the water, this one comes from the ground, the dust of the ground. And this time the magicians fail. They can't do anything like this. They say, look, this must be God. And then we get a plague of flies in chapter 8, verses 20 to 32. This one comes from the air. And it's this one where God actually makes a distinction between his people and the Egyptians. He says to them in chapter 8, uh, verse 22, he says, But on that day I will deal differently with the land of Goshen where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there, so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. The rescue is irresistible. I don't know if you've ever been looking forward to an event that you've kind of been dreading. Uh, maybe you can remember back to school where you had a test coming or an exam and uh, you wanted time just to stay still. You, you didn't want it to arrive, but it keeps coming day after day after day until it finally arrives. Uh, some of you may have just wanted to put your head in the sand and try and pretend it didn't come. It's kind of what Pharaoh's doing here. The rescue of God's people is irresistible, but Pharaoh is just putting his head in the sand. And it's because what we see is, so the second big idea this morning is that a hard heart resists the rescue. Uh, Pharaoh has a hard heart and he resists God's rescue. It's partly because his, his idolatry works. You know, uh, the, the Egyptian magicians are able to copy what God does up to a point. And there's some truth in that for us today. People look to all kinds of things to provide what only God can ultimately provide. They work can bring a sense of purpose. Uh, a in a relationship, we can feel loved and love others. Money can bring a sense of security and holidays give us great pleasure. Uh, people are always looking for other things to provide what only God ultimately can. But the reason why Pharaoh ultimately resists God is it because he doesn't know God. In fact, he says so. Uh, back in chapter 5, you may remember, and in verse 2, he says this to Moses and Aaron uh, when they bring God's word to him. He says, Who is the Lord? that I should obey him and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. He has a hard heart. We saw that table in the bite side had that, the hard heart made of stone. 
it cannot absorb the truth of who God is uh, and what our relationship should be like with him. And the plagues really expose what a huge mistake this is on Pharaoh's part. It's as if creation itself is unravelling in response to Pharaoh. You see, when Pharaoh rejects the word of God that Moses and Aaron brings, creation itself rebels against the rebel-in-chief because he's rejected the creator-in-chief. In creation, things are teeming with life. It's a good thing. And here, things are teeming, but altogether in a terrible way, a horrible way. And it's a warning for us today, particularly if uh, you would say you're not a Christian and you're watching uh, us and you're with us this morning. It's a warning that the things we rely on in life to take God's place, well, they might work for a time, but ultimately they'll fail us. If you've been uh, in ex- our home groups this last uh, week, you know we'll be, we've been in the Explore course. One of the quotes we look at is Russell Brand and his experience of favour. Here it is. This is what he says. People think money will make them happy. I've been dirty poor and I've been stinking rich. I went crazy with fame. You've got access to all this stuff that's going to make you happy, you think. Attention from the opposite sex, nice stuff. But after a while, you know it's all nonsense. See what he's saying? If you treat a created thing like a god, it will come back to bite you. And so if you're not, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian and you're watching this morning, then please understand it is futile to resist uh, the God who made us, who, who owns us, who gave us uh, the life we live. God's promise to Pharaoh in the, this story uh, in verse 17 that we read out, he says to Pharaoh, by this you will know that I am the Lord. In verse 22, he says to him, uh, we'll do this so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. Pharaoh thinks, uh, thinks he's the king, that he owns this land of Egypt. But God is saying to him, no, I'm the king. This isn't your land. This is my land. I made it. This isn't your life. It's my life. And I gave it to you. It is foolish to resist the rescue that God offers. And if you do know someone who needs God in their life, this is a powerful reminder to pray for them, to pray for them to have the soft heart that Tamar talked about earlier, the soft heart that can, that can soak up the truths about who God is and how we should relate to him. And there is a warning here too for Christians. Although we're not Pharaoh, although we have the spirit living in us who leads us to obey God, the writer of the Hebrews is still able to write to Christians in chapter 3 and warn them against um, having hard-hearted habits or ways of thinking. I think there are symptoms that we can pick out that show that we're at risk of having hard corners to our heart. If we are ungenerous, uh, ungrateful, prone to irritability or impatience, if we love to nurse a grudge or a grievance, or, or prone to being envious of other people's time or talent or money, if we uh, love to develop a critical spirit, now we need to be careful because there's ways of justifying all those things. You might say, for example, I, I'm not critical, I'm just discerning. Uh, ways that we can make all these things respectable. In fact, do uh, join us tonight as we start to look at ways in which we can make hard-heartedness respectable. 
ultimately those things, those habits speak of a of pride, uh, of a self-sufficiency, uh, and of a, a, a risk of having that hard heart that resists God's truth. The flip side is having a soft heart, a soft heart that is is captured with worship for God. And that's our third big idea this morning, that a rescued people enjoy their rescuer. Rescued people enjoy their rescuer. The original readers of this book, Exodus, they would have been Hebrews who had been rescued from the land and they'd be in their own land, free from this slavery. And these accounts, yes, they reminded them what they'd been rescued from. They'd been rescued from being slaves. More importantly, they'd been rescued from having hard hearts like Pharaoh. But it was also a reminder of who rescued them. Not just what they'd been rescued from, but what they'd been rescued for. True freedom, you see, is not just about lifting restrictions, but it's also about opportunity. Think, for example, uh, Usain Bolt uh, is free, or was free, to run the 100 metres under 10 seconds. I don't have that freedom. I've not got that opportunity. Uh, The freedom is always freedom from restrictions and freedom for or to do things. And true freedom for us is when we're rescued from a hard heart, rescued from captivity to sin and rescued for worship to God. Every time Moses and Aaron speak to Pharaoh, they they say that God says, let my people go so that they can worship me in the wilderness. It's better to be in the wilderness with God than in the fertile valleys of Egypt, but apart from him. And as you read Israel's history, it's something they frequently forgot. Worship uh, isn't just a feeling. We've got to remember that too. Worship is um, it's a, it's a building your life on someone. It's making someone the, the first point of reference in every decision making. It's enjoying someone for who they are and what they've done and who they are to you above everything and everyone else. That's true worship. And in some ways, the application for us this morning, if you're a Christian watching, is that we can be like Israel too. We can forget who we've been rescued for. Remember that scale uh, we looked at earlier. You could do a similar one for worship. How worshipful are you feeling at the moment? 100% a heart full of worship or more the other way, struggling? I think lots of us might be further down the scale, down this end at the moment. Again, there are lots of things going on at the moment to distract us from Jesus, uh, to take our eyes off him. We've had the lack of being able to gather together uh, physically as a, as a church family and the encouragement that brings of having other people speak to us and build us up. Some of us may have been experiencing uh, stresses and anxieties the like of which we've never experienced before or chronic pain or illness or being stuck in a relationship that is just marked by conflict. All of these things naturally tear our eyes away from Jesus. We're prone to forget our rescuer. But God acts here, what do we see in chapter 7, verse 7, so that uh, the people will know that he is God. Not just that, but they will know, chapter 8, verse 10, that no one is like him. So what will soften our hearts? Well, ultimately, this story, uh, this irresistible rescue, foreshadows another story, doesn't it? 
Uh, I mentioned that when the, the plague of flies come, God makes that distinction between Goshen, where his people live, uh, and, uh, and the rest of Egypt. This is, again, what he says. I will make distinction between my people and your people. That word distinction carries a sense of protection, of being uh, protected by someone paying a ransom price for you. And at the cross, we see Jesus is the one who ultimately pays that ransom price. He pays the price for our hard hearts so that we can be protected, so that God can make a distinction for us, so that we can be covered by the payment he made. And on the cross, we see creation and rebellion, just like we do in the plagues. But they're rebelling not against Pharaoh, but against Jesus, because he's taking our place. In the plagues, we see uh, the, the water bringing forth blood, bringing forth death. Jesus' blood, what does he say, brings forth living water for us. Water that will, when we drink it, we will never be thirsty again. It will spring up to eternal life in those who believe. That's how we develop those soft hearts that soak up the truths about Jesus like a sponge. My Reeves says, the cross and only the cross has the power to truly humble the proud, lift up the fallen and make sinners hate sin. Our, our heart is softened as we pray to Jesus when we make decisions. Our heart is softened as we give thanks to him uh, daily for the, the food on our table, the roof over our heads, the air we breathe. Our heart is softened as we marvel at him for his grace to us, his undeserved favour. Jesus' rescue, it is irresistible. It doesn't fix everything straight away. We may still feel sad. We may still get sick. We may still lose things that we treasure. But if you've received God's irresistible rescue, then nothing can stop you enjoying your rescuer. Nothing can separate you from him and you from his love for you and to you and in you. In the film Shawshank Redemption, Andy Dufresne, there's a, there's a very moving scene where he gets, he locks himself in the warden's office and he plays Mozart opera across the prison yard. It brings the whole prison to a standstill. Uh, they break in as a punishment. He has to spend two weeks in the hole. He gets out, he goes to eat with the rest of his inmates and they go, two weeks in the hole. He says, easiest time I ever did. And they go, no such thing as uh, easy time in the hole. A week is like a year. And he said, well, I had Mr. Mozart to keep me company. It was in here and in here. And he says, that's the beauty of music. They can't get that from you. Haven't you ever felt that way about music? You need it so you don't forget there are places in the world that aren't made of stone and there's nothing and there's something. There's something inside you that they can't get to and they can't touch, it's yours. Red says to him, what are you talking about? He says, hope. You may be in a hole, but if you're a Christian, there's someone outside of you that they can't touch, and his spirit lives in you and he can't be touched either. And the bond between you and him can never ever be broken. But don't make a habit of a hard heart. Remember, you've been rescued by God to enjoy your rescuer. Soften your hearts to him so that you might worship him wherever you are and whatever you're going through.